Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. Today I am joined by a new voice on the show, Nikki. Hello, Nikki. Hello. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing Jim versus Dwight, otherwise known as John Krasinski and Rain Wilson from The Office. In this episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently because one issue I've come across with finding people to be guests is that not a lot of people have seen the amount of movies that I have seen because it's kind of my thing. I I watch a lot of movies. I'm the movie guy. Some people buy shoes. Based on feedback and my own experiences, I know the episodes where I'm alone aren't as much fun as having conversations with Tara or Sean or John. What we're doing today is, with Nikki here, she has not seen most of the movies on this list. And so, while I like doing the solo episodes, by having you here, maybe it'll be a little more fun than than just being by myself. I hope so. Today's topic being Jim versus Dwight, so obviously it's an office connection. I assume you are a fan of The Office? I am, yeah. I actually I w- actually didn't watch it when it was on TV. What do you mean, like, so you just streamed it later? Yeah, I didn't watch it until the series was over, and then I watched it on Netflix. I just binged it. The Office was a powerhouse, especially for streaming. I think, really, it's one of those shows kind of like Breaking Bad, where the creators say having the episode stream is really what helped the popularity kind of snowball. It helped it grow. Not a lot of people watched those first six episodes, because The Office was a mid-season replacement. Uh, do you know what that is? Mm-mm. With network television, when shows debut in the fall, there's always the new fall schedule. Sometimes they're bombs. And so the networks will have other shows planned to take their place when some new show gets canceled because no one likes it. They have to fill in that schedule with something. So they're prepared to do this. They're prepared they for They know a, that shows are going to bomb. Yeah, they know that some of their new shows aren't going to do well and they have backup plans. Normally, mid-season replacements are failures. These are the things that they didn't think were good enough to be on the schedule in the fall. There are some exceptions, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Grey's Anatomy, and The Office was a mid-season replacement. Season 1 was only 6 episodes, and season 1's pretty rough. A lot of those shows, like uh, I never watched Parks and Rec or Community or 30 Rock, but I'm told that the first seasons of those shows are not great. No, no, come on. The first season of Community is classic. Is that the one with Chevy Chase? It is, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Look past him, please. I like Chevy Chase. I know he's a jerk in real life, but I like his humor. And we will be doing an episode coming up very soon with a number of his movies. It's not going to be a Chevy Chase episode, but we are going to be profiling a director that has done a number of Chevy Chase movies. So we'll get into that later. When The Office debuted, it wasn't a huge hit. They were copying the British version a little too closely. I loved BBC television. And so I knew The Office before it debuted as an American show. And so I was not interested. I didn't watch it when it was new either. And then later on, when I think the show had just ended, I did the Netflix thing and I ended up loving it. Personally, I like Michael Scott. I like when he has his moments of sentimentality, like when he goes to see uh, Pam's artwork and it's a painting of the office. I like that. It's a nice mixture of innocence with buffoonery. Yeah, he's like a big child. Did you have a favorite character? Oscar. Why? Because he's just so funny and like he doesn't take crap from anybody. A lot of Oscar's humor is just his responses to everyone else being kind of a fool. Mm-hmm. I actually met the actor who played Oscar because I went to San Diego Comic-Con and he was there promoting the show on TBS called People of Earth, which oh, yeah. got canceled way too soon. That show is hilarious. Only two seasons. I highly recommend People of Earth. That's so a, do I. That's a very funny show. Yeah. People used to say that uh, I reminded them of Creed. The band? No, Creed, the character in The Office who's oh. all creepy. I don't know. I'm not going to take that as an insult, but you know, whatever. I like the show. It's huge. One thing we do have to discuss, though, is Friends. 
I have a hard time with shows with laugh tracks where you hear the fake canned audience laughing. There are 80 shows like Night Court. I love Night Court so much. But beyond that, once you get into the 90s, I have a really hard time watching laugh track sitcoms. Ones like The Office where you don't hear an audience laughing. Those are fun. I can handle that just fine. But I could not get into Friends. Did you have a problem with the characters? Or was it strictly the laugh track? Well, I just didn't think it was funny. From about 1993 on, I don't know if I ever saw a laugh track show that was funny to me. I think Friends has good long-running jokes. Like, Joey doesn't share his food. That's a 10-season long-running joke on Friends. And he doesn't share his spinoff show. Ha-ha. Do we talk about Joey? What? His show, Joey. It lasted for two seasons. He had his own spinoff after Friends ended. And it was actually his character? Yeah, it's called Joey. I had no idea about that. Where he, like, moves in with his sister? What? It ran for two seasons. No, I had no idea. Friends got canceled the next season, Joey. I've never heard of this. Two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, either way, we're not here to talk about Friends, but since you asked... (laughs) Millions of people disagree with you. But anyway, one of the reasons I brought up Friends is because, like with The Office, we need to discuss how these shows become super famous, and yet the actors don't really succeed outside of that show. If you look at all the movies that the cast of Friends did, other than Jennifer Aniston, the other five were not successful. Other than some one-offs like Courtney Cox being in the right ensemble in Scream, none of them had successful films. Matthew Perry went on and did numerous films. Okay, other than a Bruce Willis movie, which is The Whole Nine Yards, name a Matthew Perry movie that was successful. Uh, Fool's Rush In. That was not successful. What? That was a bomb. It was successful Fools in my Ru- eyes. <laughs> Fool's Rush In was a bomb. Oh my God, I love that movie. David Schwimmer's Kissing a Fool was a bomb. Ed was a bomb. Actually, you know what? Hang on. I have a list of all the Friends movies. Hang on. Oh my God. So even though it's well-liked, Romeo and Michelle was a bomb. <laughs> no, it was not. It was a bomb. It was a financial failure. It was a bomb. Okay, but, but now it's a cult classic. That doesn't mean that it made any money. It was still a failure, and it doesn't help her career now, because what other movies is Lisa Kudrow doing? Serving Sarah, Three to Tango, Almost Heroes, David Schwimmer, Kissing a Fool, Paul Bearer. These, none of these movies were successful. Who was in uh, Horrible Bosses? Oh, Jennifer Aniston. So again, Jennifer Aniston is the one-off. She's the one. But David Schwimmer has done TV, and he has been successful in TV. I know we're talking about movies. No, he played Robert Kardashian in the OJ. Schwimmer in the People vs. OJ Simpson TV show was 15 years after Friends ended. I mean, it didn't come right after. And it was 18 years. Yeah, you can't really compare it. You can't really say Friends is the reason why he's successful in that show a decade and a half later. That's like when David Crusoe, his career imploded when he left NYPD Blue because he wanted to be a movie star. And then, yeah, he eventually got CSI Miami, which was, at the time, the biggest television show in the world. But he still had a horrible, horrible trail of failures leading up to that eventual success. The point being is that look at any of the actors in The Office. Look at any of the actors in really any other successful show. They have a hard time breaking into movies, I think, usually because fans of the show only want to see them as those characters. People don't want to see David Schwimmer with a ponytail riding a motorcycle picking up high school girls. I do like Kissing a Fool, but it doesn't change that the movie failed. And so with The Office and the list of movies today, we've kind of gone the long way around getting to the movies of today's episode. There aren't a lot of John Krasinski movies, and there aren't a lot of Rain Wilson movies. Both of them have appeared in small supporting roles where Krasinski plays the silent ex-husband of a character, and Rain Wilson will pop up in some goofy role, this or that. But they don't really have lead roles. They don't really have movies that are sitting on their shoulders. There are a few, and they mostly were failures. The one that stands out is obviously A Quiet Place, which we'll get to. But Pam hasn't broken out. Steve Carell did. Steve Carell's the one. Craig Robinson, actually, he's had a great career too. But there are two out of, what, a main cast of 12 or 13 regulars on The Office. For as huge as that show was, 
they still suffer the same fate as a lot of other popular shows where the actors don't really transition to other successes very easily. What if a part of them doesn't want to go on and continue working or making movies or shows? What if that's just why we haven't seen them since? There is that, but it's usually reflected in their filmography. Like some people just stop. Cameron Diaz just stopped. Not all of them want a huge career or to do another 10 seasons on another show. But also, too, you have people like Kevin, where no offense, he's hilarious in the office. I don't see him being the lead in a, a hangover sequel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Pop quiz. What temperature does Kevin like the thermostat to be at? I don't know. Come on. I don't know. 69. Oh, hardy har. <laughs> There's a fun little detail about the making of that show where if you watch the background, like when they're interviewing or showing Dwight or Jim or anyone else, you see Angela or Oscar or whatever, you know, sort of out of focus sitting at their desk. They actually had internet going to all the computers at the desks on the set because the actors would have to sit there for hours just basically pretending to be working on a computer. And so it's kind of interesting to me, at least, when you watch The Office and you see these very well-paid actors, and they're just sitting there for hours while other characters film their scenes. And it's kind of amusing to me. I don't know. I would love to get paid to sit on my computer and play games. Along those lines of these actors attempting to have success outside of television, Jim and Dwight, John Krasinski, and Rain Wilson have had a number of attempts. The list I compiled today are the films where either they had a lead role or the films were noteworthy. So they may not necessarily be the lead. And there is that sort of weird middle ground where I don't like saving a movie if it's not really their movie. But given that there's such a low volume to choose from, we might actually have to make that exception. The movies we have on today's list are A Quiet Place, 13 Hours, Aloha, Promised Land, Big Miracle, License to Wed, Super, The Rocker, Cooties, The Meg, and House of a Thousand Corpses. The only movie I remember is A Quiet Place. I know that I've seen Cooties because Rain Wilson, doesn't he play like a gym teacher or Uh something? I know I've seen Cooties, but everything else I won't remember until you talk about them. But you do know A Quiet Place because that is, you know, more recent and that was a huge hit. Yeah, I love A Quiet Place. We have talked about A Quiet Place on this show before with, with Tara in our Alien Horror Movies episode and neither of us really care for it. I do think it's noteworthy that John Krasinski wrote and directed a horror movie. I never really thought about it till now, but it's kind of like with Jordan Peele, where he started, or at least became more famous for comedy television, and then he does a horror movie. John Krasinski, comedy television, he does a horror movie. I think it's just the most interesting genre out there right now, because you can do so much with it. Like Crimes of the Future, body horror, trauma. My guess is maybe because doing horror is almost like casting against type. It deliberately shows they can do something that's not comedy, but also too... Horror films leave a lot of room for failure. And what I mean by that is, if you make a $5 million horror movie that doesn't succeed, that's not really a ding to your career. There's not a huge risk there versus like Steve Carell doing Evan Almighty and losing Universal Studios $200 million, right? Mm -mm. If John Krasinski does a $13 million horror movie with his wife, it's not that big of a deal if it fails. And so I think there's sort of a safety net. Maybe that's a better term. There's, There's a safety net in horror. I'm not going to cross off A Quiet Place yet because I see this list and it is a good movie. I don't personally care for it, but it is good. There are some weird things like, why don't they just live by the waterfall, whatever. And Tara made a great joke about how the family wanted that little boy to die at the beginning because why else would they let him be the last in line? (laughs) You know, clearly they were just trying to uh, cut him loose. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) But what do you think about Quiet Place? I mean, I like it. It was the first horror movie, scary movie that I took my daughter to. She was covering her eyes. She wouldn't even look at the screen the whole time. But you liked it then? Yeah. 
I, I do appreciate that it has actual scares in the film. It has sequences that are pretty tense, like her in the bathtub when she's giving birth or when she steps on that nail. Mm, that's my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. I really hate in horror movies when it's really just somebody wandering a dark hall for five minutes and then nothing happens but the music going brink when a cat jumps out of uh, a closet. A Quiet Place has actual scenes of tension and scares. So I do appreciate that. And and seeing what's on this list, I am going to hang on to it for the moment, even though I did cut it from a previous episode, but it might survive this one. I don't know. Did you see part two? Yeah, but you know, I actually saw it twice and I don't remember it either time. Was it good? I don't remember. I'm keeping that in. (laughs) (laughs) I saw it twice. Was it good? I don't remember. (laughs) I didn't care for it. The best part of part two was the flashback at the beginning when they show day one of the event of the aliens arriving. I have to watch it again. Uh, Or don't. Just like part one, two isn't bad. It's just more of the same. I don't think it has the magic of the first one, but we're not really even talking about part two since Krasinski's only in the beginning of it, but he did direct it. He is the main actor of the first film, so we are hanging on to that one for now. Let's go ahead and talk about Cooties, which is a Rain Wilson movie. As mentioned, he plays the gym teacher in it. And Cooties is about, well, given that you've seen it and don't remember, I'm going to ask just for just for giggles, do you remember what it's about? Yeah, um, the kids get a disease that only kids can get, and they call it Cooties. And the kids go and eat all the humans and attack them and kill them, right? <laughs> okay, there is a severe lack of very important information in that description. <laughs> what is it? Kids getting sick and then eating people. There's there's one key well, detail I you're missing. Well, I at the end. They well, right, eat right. and attack people. <laughs> zombies. You're missing the word zombies. But they call it Cooties because it's it can only... Yeah. Yes, because kids kids get cooties. It's clever. So in the film, there is a virus. So this is the viral zombie disease. At an elementary school, there is an outbreak of zombies, cooties, and only kids can get it. So once you reach a certain age, I think it's puberty in the film, but they are still murderous children who are going to eat you. Cooties was co-written by Lee Wannell, who wrote the Saw film, the original Saw film, the good one. He also wrote Insidious. I don't care for cooties. It's one of those movies that I really wanted to like. Horror comedies are fun. There's been a lot of horror comedy zombie movies like Dead Alive or Cemetery Man, which uh, I'm assuming you haven't seen based on the blank look on your face. No. They're great. Okay. There's a a movie by the Spirit Brothers called Undead, which is fantastic for a low-budget, crazy bonkers zombie movie. Oh, Shaun of the Dead, obviously, which I know you've seen. Yeah. Yeah, Cooties, though, uh, because what makes a great horror comedy is it treats the horror as real and it treats the comedy as real. A lot of times that balance is the problem where they don't really know what they're making. If it's just silly, kind of like the Lupita Nyong'o movie, Little Monsters, which has a very similar concept, except that one is about a teacher trying to protect her class from the zombie Armageddon that's happening outside. That one's amusing. That one's better than Cooties. But Cooties, I don't think they balance the humor right because they never go for any real scares. There's never any real threat to it. Rain Wilson is doing that same thing he does in so many of his movies that we'll touch on where he's just the pushy dumb adult man-child idiot. Also too, and maybe this might be a little bit of 2022 glasses, but watching a bunch of people kill children <laughs> in a school is... Well, that's dark. Yeah, no, <laughs> well, but that's that's the movie. So, I mean, I guess it's easier to watch since it's played for laughs, but still, just concept alone, ugh, I don't know. It is one of those movies where it's not really a Rain Wilson movie. It's really more about Elijah Wood's character. So I will cross off Cooties. It's not great. Even even for horror fans, like, eh, sure, if it's on Shudder, watch it, but Cooties is not great. Let's go back to a gym title then. So John Krasinski's movie, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. 
<laughs> the look on your face. Uh, this is a Michael Bay movie, and we will be doing a Michael Bay episode pretty soon here, so you'll hear Sean's opinion on 13 Hours. 13 Hours came out, I want to say 2016, so only four years after the actual events that the movie is based on. It's about it's about an American embassy that is attacked in Benghazi, and there are six or seven soldiers that are stationed nearby and go stage a rescue. And the movie is two and a half hours long, and it's basically just one really long night. There's not a lot of characters. It's not about them and their families. There's really no character motivations or characterizations or personality really to any of these people, including John Krasinski. It's just harrowing action. And some people have kind of accused the movie of racism or xenophobia. Why? Well, because it's a bunch of white soldiers shooting a bunch of non-white people. But that's where some of the trouble sort of lies because it is a version of real events. I'm not getting into that because I don't know. As it stands to me, the movie is a pretty solid action movie. It's actually really intense, but kind of like Black Hawk Down with less personality. Does Jim play a soldier? He does. And actually, Krasinski, this is the movie that sort of showed that he wasn't Jim anymore. Right now, sure, we have him with the beard in A Quiet Place, and he did a season or two on Amazon playing Jack Ryan. But up until 13 Hours, that's the movie where he got kind of jacked, actually. It's kind of like when Chris Pratt was in Zero Dark Thirty. I didn't know who he was because I didn't watch uh, Community. Oh, my God. I don't know what show he was on. What show was he on? Parks and Rec. Okay. I didn't watch Parks and Rec, but I had heard that there was a comic actor who was a relatively large guy who got super fit and buff just to play a soldier who sits in a lawn chair in Zero Dark Thirty. And that was my first exposure, really, to Chris Pratt. And then we, of course, see him playing buff and shirtless in the first Guardians movie. But kind of like Chris Pratt doing that, 13 Hours is the movie where John Krasinski changed. He stopped being Jim. If you look at Jim in the first couple seasons of The Office and you look at 13 Hours, they're not the same person anymore. I think that movie is what gave him the career he has now. And all, really all he did was work out and grow a beard. But hey, we're vain. This is Hollywood. I'm not going to cross off 13 Hours yet. Absolutely 100% crossing off Aloha. This is one of those movies where he is really barely in it. The thing with Aloha... There are two main problems. It's a Cameron Crowe movie, and he did Jerry Maguire, which was great. Jerry Maguire is still good. It holds up. And Aloha is just a confusing, boring, pointless mess. It's just the worst romantic comedy, and I use that almost... Oh, that was supposed to be romantic? It's not romantic or funny. It is almost like he filmed the first draft. It doesn't make any sense. You don't like anybody. And Bradley Cooper is awful in it, which is rare because he's usually great. But this leads to the other problem. His character is assigned an attaché, basically a babysitter who is played by Emma Stone, who I normally like as well. And the movie was a little controversial because Emma Stone plays a Hawaiian in it. And the fact is, is that indigenous Hawaiian people are Pacific Islanders and usually non-white. And in the movie, they say, oh, she's half Hawaiian. I think they threw that line in as a dub later just to appease people. I like her sort of peppiness in the film. Her character is is a little too energetic, almost to the point of annoyance, but she should not have played that part. And I feel really weird saying that too, only because I've said to Tara before, and I'll get your thoughts on this, is that actors act. You should be able to play whatever, whoever you want, because it's pretend. And we are always so quick to offense. Somewhat contradictory to what I just said, though, if your character is supposed to be Hawaiian, cast a Hawaiian. I don't know. What do you think? I think the importance of representation in movies is that people want to see themselves. Sometimes we do need to be forced. We need to give marginalized people an opportunity. An easy example is if your character's Hawaiian, cast a Hawaiian, you know? And I do think actors should be able to act. You don't have to really be a werewolf to play a werewolf. 
And I know that's a jokey example, but it's true. Like, where do we draw the line? I do understand that we do need to somewhat force it because we need to improve. We don't have a lot of box office draws or super famous actors from marginalized groups because they haven't been given opportunities. I mean, just the representation. It's just important for somebody to be seen. So if if a little Hawaiian girl is watching that movie and knows that Emma Stone's character is supposed to be Hawaiian and then they see a white person. What do you think about the idea of Actors Act? Because where would you draw the line? But like, who is that up to? I'm asking you. Yeah. Your decision. It's it's not up to me. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. All right. I think that if they're going to make a movie about the importance. So for instance, Aloha, that movie was not specifically about the importance of Emma Stone's skin color or where she was from. But if the sole purpose of a movie is the importance of this gay character or this trans character, then I believe that a gay or trans person should have been casted. And they could have just cut that whole part where they say that she's Hawaiian. It wasn't even necessary. The next one is really easy to cross off. It's another John Krasinski movie called License to Wed with Robin Williams playing a wacky priest. It's awful. It sucks. Set it on fire. John Krasinski and Mandy Moore play a couple who want to get married and her dream church, her dream wedding is only available once in the next two years. It's fully booked and the one opening is in three weeks. I'm saying it in really exaggerated tones because I hate it so much. (laughs) And the father there, Robin Williams, he has this three-month-long crash course that he puts all couples through to test their relationship to make sure that they're not rushing into marriage. And because the opening is only in three weeks, they have to do three months worth of these couple challenges, and it ends up driving their relationship apart, of course. I don't know. This movie sounds ridiculous. And it has to have that big misunderstanding. I hate it so much. It's awful. It made a fair amount of money. Nobody really remembers it. I miss Robin Williams. I miss that energy. The movie's awful. License to Wet is terrible. Saccharin, garbage, stupid nonsense. Do you like Mandy Moore? I do. I liked her in, uh, oh, was it called How to Lose? What is it? How to Deal? There we go. She did a, like one of those teenage angst movies called How to Deal, which oh, is I'm actually pretty good. A Walk to Remember. Um, she was one of those poppy singers from when I was a teenager, you know? Her yeah. song Candy. I wonder how many people who watch This Is Us realize that she was a Britney Spears clone. Mm -hmm. She came out of the school of Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Jessica Simpson, and pivoted into acting. We'll do a Rain Wilson one next. I'm going to talk about Super. (laughs) It's so good. I love Super so much. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I do not. Okay. Super was made by James Gunn, who did the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. He is also a trauma veteran. He came from Trauma Studios. He made Tromeo and Juliet. He is in Toxic Avenger 4, and he did Super. Super has Rain Wilson playing a super sad sack, just the most depressed, down-on-his-luck, sad guy. He has a perfect girlfriend played by Liv Tyler, who dumps him for Kevin Bacon, and the camera just sits on him while he just sits and just bawls, and it's so dark that you could possibly interpret this as not a comedy, but it's meant to be a comedy. It is brutally sad. (laughs) He's just so depressed. And he decides to become a superhero. And so it's kind of like Kick-Ass. But imagine if Kick-Ass had all of its fantasy elements taken out. Imagine if Kick-Ass was grounded in reality. That's super. And so he makes his own costume. It looks awful because unlike in the Marvel movies and Spider-Man, he's not this magic seamstress that can make a perfect costume that can survive all these things. And his weapon is a wrench. (laughs) Here's one example. And if you laugh at this, it'll tell you whether or not you might enjoy this movie. He is in line for a movie. And a guy cuts in line. And so he goes back to his car, puts on his costume, comes back with the wrench, clubs the guy over the head with the wrench. It's not treated as a heroic moment. 
It's played as if somebody in real life getting hit over the head with a wrench. It is brutal and gross and really uncomfortable. He gets a sidekick in Elliot Page, who is way too excited. The character is way too excited to try to fight crime in real life. But it has such an undercurrent of dark humor. It is a comedy. It is a comedy first more than anything. And probably a lot of what I'm saying doesn't sound very funny. That should probably tell you if your humor is in line with this or not. It is not a pleasant film, but in a squeamish, hilarious way. Well, I like all those actors. That's enough for me to check it out. I'm hanging on to it for now. It will probably make it to the end, so we'll see. The next one I'll cross off is a John Krasinski movie, Promised Land. Weirdly directed by Gus Van Sant, who did Goodwill Hunting. He also did Jerry and Elephant and Last Days. If you haven't heard of or seen any of those movies, I understand. They were not huge successes. I liked Elephant quite a lot. It's a sort of artsy dramatization of the Columbine shooting. I think I've heard of that. It's good, but it's upsetting. Gus Van Sant also did the nearly shot-for-shot remake of Psycho. But either way, the reason I bring all of that up is because after he did those, you wouldn't necessarily expect him to do a sort of comedy with Matt Damon about fracking. Matt Damon plays a, a fracking company employee who goes you know, to the Midwest to try to get farmers and whatnot to sign off to allow fracking on their property. And John Krasinski plays the leader of an opposition group who is in the same town campaigning against against the oil company or the fracking company. And so Krasinski is kind of the antagonist against Matt Damon's character. The weird twist, though, is that Krasinski actually is working for the same company and that he is pretending to be the leader of an environmental group in order to discredit environmentalists to make the townspeople side with Matt Damon to sign over the fracking rights. That's messed up. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird (laughs) twist. I hate to use the word amusing when it's about fracking, but it's an amusing sort of cute movie. I think it's PG. There's another movie we're going to talk about in a second where I will use those same words in a much more positive way. Promised Land is not great. I mean, really, I don't really recommend anybody seek it out necessarily. Throughout the movie, do you know he's a double agent or is that told to you at the end? That's the plot twist at the end. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you just ruined it for all your listeners. Oh, I did. Spoilers for a movie I'm not recommending. But, you know, it's not a bad film. I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just, it's one of those movies where you watch it and say, oh, okay. The other movie, though, where I will say nice and pleasant in a much more positive way is called Big Miracle. Do you have any idea what this is? I mean, it sounds familiar, but not off the top of my head. It has a terrible poster. Please don't let the cover art for the movie uh, turn you off if you go to look it up to watch it. But it's based on a true story from the 80s. The movie came out in 2014, I think. But it's about a pod of whales. I don't know if pod is the right term. How many whales do you need for a pod? Either way, I think there's three of them. But in Alaska, these three whales were trapped in the ice. They were in a section of water that had been sealed off. And the winter ice had froze all the way to the ocean for uh, about five miles. So they were five miles from water. And John Krasinski plays a small town reporter in Alaska who, of course, dreams of the big city. He doesn't want to be there. And through the events of this movie, he learns to appreciate the small town life. He does a news report about these wells and it gets national attention. And again, that part is real. And a bunch of people, including some environmental experts and volunteers and ship captains, all come together over the course of several days to save these wells. And it's one of those sort of uplifting humans can be actually decent stories. Like, we're not all selfish. We'll actually spend a couple days just to save whales. The only real complaint I have necessarily is that Drew Barrymore's character, she goes big. And it's a little bit much. I wish she had played it a little more down to earth. But other than that, it's one of those movies kind of like Cool Runnings or Eight Below, where 
you feel good. It's just nice. Or even a uh, dolphin tail. If you ever saw that, dolphin tail is really good. That's another true story about Winter, the dolphin. She had a prosthetic tail and she plays herself in the movie. The dolphin plays herself. And it's actually really good. The sequel is terrible. But if you want to watch a bunch of people working together to help a dolphin to swim, it's really nice. And that's kind of where Big Miracle is. It's a nice movie. Did you ever see Eight Below? No. Eight Below is really good with Paul Walker. I will hang on to Big Miracle for the moment. Did you say where it's set at? Alaska, right? It's Alaska. The real event was in like 1988. I don't remember if the movie takes place in the 80s or not because everything is frozen and snowy and dark. You can't tell what year it takes place anyway. Listening to you talk about it, like there's a chance I may have seen it. It sounds familiar. <laughs> Do you commit any films to memory? <laughs> no. So quick story. Uh, one time I watched a movie with you and I swear six days later, you didn't remember that we watched it. <laughs> That was... The Jennifer Lopez movie, yeah, Marry Me? Yeah, Marry Me. I was so excited to watch that too for months before it came out. I was like, we're going to watch this, we're going to watch this. And then... And you don't remember I saying I still it. don't remember watching it. I remember a week later I asked you, are we going to watch this movie yet? And, and I was like, we did. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. All right. It, it's not a good movie. Marry Me was not good. Uh, it was fine, whatever. It's completely predictable and obvious. Big Miracle though, I do recommend. I'm hanging on to it. It's cute. Tara would say that that's one of those dismissive words. Cute. Nice. Fine. But I'm saying it in a genuine way. It's cute. That is all of the Jim movies, all of the John Krasinski films. The three left are all Rain Wilson movies. The Rocker is about a former drummer for a rock band who tries to get his glory days back, even though he's old and washed up. And he sees an opportunity because his nephew's high school band needs a drummer. And so the comedy, the high concept comedy, is that it's a washed up rock star in a high school rock band. And his nephew is played by Josh Gad, which is, it's very weird seeing him play a teenager. And Emma Stone is in it. What year was this made? Like 2006. Oh, okay. Maybe 2009, I'm not sure. The Rocker is kind of like all of those Adam Sandler or Rob Schneider movies where Rob Schneider's an animal, or Rob Schneider's a carrot, or Adam Sandler is the son of the devil. Mm -hmm. Like all those high concept weird ideas. Yeah, totally high concept. It's funny. It's not a great film. It's not one of those movies where I will say, hey, if you want a comedy, check out The Rocker. But it's not bad. One comparison that kind of comes to mind, I think that may have even been around at a similar time, is The Sitter with Jonah Hill. They both feel kind of like of the same era. And it's actually a lead role. It's one of the few Rain Wilson lead roles other than Super and maybe uh, one or two others where he is the main character. It's his name first. Because other ones like The Last Mimsy, he's a supporting character. He's third, fourth, fifth build. But this is his movie. The Rocker is his movie. The shtick gets a little annoying. There's a little too much Dwight there. I don't want to watch Dwight be a rock star. I don't want to watch a sitcom about Dwight, which they tried doing. The Shroot Farms episode was meant to be a backdoor pilot for his own series after The Office oh. ended. I think it was just going to be called Shroot Farms, maybe, or something about beats. The next is The Meg, and kind of like with The Last Mimsy or Cooties, it's not a Rain Wilson movie, not really. There are several actors above him. It's a Jason Statham movie. It's a Cliff Curtis movie. It's a Ruby Rose movie. And eventually, if you look down the cast list, eventually you'll get to Rain Wilson. But I love The Meg. And I'm surprised you haven't seen it. Jason Statham versus a Megalodon, a gigantic shark. I don't think I've ever seen a Jason Statham movie. Why are you surprised I haven't seen oh, it? Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> That's a conversation for another time. But it's not really an action movie. He doesn't kickbox a shark. It's like Mega Jaws. It's Super Jaws. Rain Wilson in the film plays the millionaire, billionaire, whatever that's paying for the endeavor 
that eventually leads to the discovery of the Megalodon. My issue with him, at least in the film, is that he doesn't play it as the corporate scumbag. He is genuinely curious and kind of amused with what's going on. And then at the very end of his scenes, he ends up being like the secret, oh, I'm a businessman, I have my own agenda thing. And it was just such an unnecessary twist. They could have left him a nice guy. But the movie, though, I love the Meg. It was a lot of fun. You said he died, right? Yeah, he dies. Did, yeah. did him dying further the plot at all, or was it just completely unnecessary? It was just to pick him off. The Meg is not smart. It's not a smart movie. It's completely ridiculous. But there's something to be said about a good shark movie, because there's so many bad shark movies like Three-Headed Shark Attack. I think there's Six-Headed Spring Break Shark Attack, stuff like that. Even I may have written one. The Meg is a blast. It's over the top. It takes the concept of a secret underworld of the ocean where giant sharks live, and they don't care how stupid it is, and are just able to run with it like, ha ha, I don't care. And that makes it a joy. The Meg is a joy. In fact, you might watch it and just say, oh my goodness, this is stupid. And that's why I recommend it. <laughs> it's a blast. My only hesitation is, like I said earlier, it's not a Rain Wilson movie, not really. So if we're judging this based on you know the quality of Jim or Dwight or their significance in the films, then yeah, I would have to cut it. But on its own, it is one of the more enjoyable films on this list. So I am hanging on to it right now. I will I will debate on whether or not the size of his role or importance of his role is worth cutting. But also along those exact same lines is House of a Thousand Corpses. One of the only ones that you have seen, even though you don't really remember it. Yeah, like 40 years ago. Yeah, but you don't remember the one from three months ago either. That's true. House of a Thousand Corpses is an experience. That's the way I used to describe it. Now, 20 years later... We've had so many other torture porn movies. That's the genre that came out of it where we have Saw and Hostel and a whole bunch of other gritty, disgusting horror movies. And I'm not saying gritty and disgusting like I'm offended. I'm saying disgusting like there's a lot of grime and slime. <laughs> I walked out of Hostel. Do you want to know when? Hmm. When he was tied to the chair? Or was it a girl? The, the Achilles tendon? Yeah. And so her legs were like this. It was and a they, dude. And he, yeah. they just cut it. And yeah. I just walked out. I was just, yeah. no. Hostel is not a great movie. But I do like horror movies. And I do like ones where people are tested. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is incredible. The original. House of a Thousand Corpses, though, as I said, I described it as an experience. And we have all those years and movies since that have kind of diluted its impact. Like if you watch it now, you're probably not going to be too impressed. But when it came out, I had to sit outside for like 15 minutes afterwards and just process. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. Rain Wilson is barely in it. In fact, if you watch it, you might not even realize that he's in it. Rob Zombie, as a director, he hasn't really had much success since then. It's arguable whether or not Devil's Rejects is better than House of a Thousand Corpses. It's definitely more skilled. He did improve as a director, but every one of his movies since then has been atrocious. 31 was awful. Three from Hell was awful. Actually, I did like Lords of Salem, but just about nobody else did. But that original House of a Thousand Corpses, he took every little bit of 1970s grindhouse inspiration and pushed it into this disgusting, amazing, dark, twisted movie. I still love it. There's a lot to like there if you're into just gritty, gross, dark, horrible movies. I'm having a brain fart. What's the horror one, torture one with Dee Snyder? Oh, D. Snyder's Strangeland. That came Strange out first. Strangeland. Strangeland was 98, I believe. I like Strangeland. That I remember. Linda Cardellini was a teenager in that, I think. I do like that movie. I like D. Snyder. There's some bad effects at the end when he catches fire. You can totally tell it's like this puffy fire suit that's made to look like human skin. It's really bad. Actually, along those lines, too, 
my only problem with House of a Thousand Corpses is that it can't decide if it's based on reality or not. And I don't mean like based on true story. The movie is grounded to where all these terrible things could really happen. But then they introduce a mad scientist that's borderline supernatural, and it's barely really even used just for a sequence near the end. And it kind of just throws the whole thing off a little bit because it breaks that grounded sense of reality. And again, the movie isn't going for realism necessarily, but when the entire movie is meant to be a variation of real life, and then suddenly there's a supernatural element, it's kind of weird. Like if Jaws suddenly had a ghost in it 30 minutes from the end. I mean, it sounds like it just adds an unnecessary element. And some people might scream at their headphones that it's science because he was doing experiments, but it's practically a supernatural thing. Whereas D. Snyder just kidnapped people and tortured them, right? In real life? No, no, in Strangeland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, it's been so long since I've seen that one. I just remember that the daughter of what a cop is kidnapped. Mm-hmm. She's on the poster with her lips sewn shut. That is the end of the list of the Jim and Dwight movies. Surprisingly, I actually still have six left. I've only crossed off five. <laughs> I held on to A Quiet Place, 13 Hours, Big Miracle, Super, The Meg, and House of a Thousand Corpses. So I have to cut this in half. Well, obviously, A Quiet Place. <laughs> so what do you think about the idea of keeping the movies based on how good they are, at least obviously in my opinion, versus the importance of Jim or Dwight in the films because The Meg and House of a Thousand Corpses I like a lot, but Rain Wilson is not really relevant to either film. He's in them. They're Rain Wilson movies, but he is not important. Well, I mean, it is a Jim versus Dwight list. Mm -hmm. So you're weighing Jim and Dwight, not Jason Statham. And Jim. Jason Statham versus Jim. (laughs) One easy choice is I am going to cross off 13 hours. Sean and I will touch on that a little more in the Michael Bay episode in the future. But as good as it is an action sequence, it's really just one giant action sequence. And not really. There's not a whole lot of movie there. I do like it, but I'm going to cross it off. I feel bad keeping a quiet place just because I don't care for it. But it is the most known and liked movie on here. That's for sure. Definitely keeping Super. So what's left? Big Miracle, The Meg, and House of a Thousand Corpses. Oh, well. In a quiet place. Sounds like you got to go with Big Miracle. So do you think I should cut based on... Well, I mean, if we're weighing Jim versus Dwight and and he just gets killed instantly in one of those movies, or both of those movies... Well, he survives a little bit longer in The Meg, but yeah, in House of a Thousand Corpses, he is hardly even noticeable, but he's in it. Uh, I hate to do it. So even though, personally, I do like The Meg and House of a Thousand Corpses more than the surviving Krasinski movies... I'm going to cross them off. As for me, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Super, A Quiet Place, and Big Miracle. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas or Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please visit Patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review. That really does help us a lot. I'm your host, Aaron. I was joined today by Nikki. Thank you for listening.